welcome to the Critical Condition Sports Podcast, wherever you may be and however you're listening. Thanks for joining me today on this beautiful Thursday. Yes, it's Thursday, folks. Normally, I have the episode come out on Friday, but again, big fight feel with uh, Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. A trilogy fight coming up. It's uh, been a big week for Critical Condition Sports. Um, obviously, you know, not only am I giving you an episode on a Thursday, but I gave you an extra bonus episode, an extra episode this past Tuesday with MMA Junkies John Morgan, who's a fantastic mind. We talked all things MMA. It's available wherever you get your podcast from. And uh, today I have uh, MMA Junkies, another person from MMA Junkie who is, again, not just a top journalist in the world of MMA, but just a jo- top journalist, period, in Mike Bond. And uh, it's a special one, folks. But real quick, before I get into this, I just want to give you all my daily plug-in. Please follow Critical Condition Sports on Instagram at Critical Condition Sports, on Twitter at Condition Talk. And if you're looking for that extra YouTube content, feel free to check out the Critical Condition Sports page on YouTube. Go ahead and go to YouTube and type Critical Condition Sports. And if you can, watch a video, leave it a like, subscribe. It helps the show. And if you're listening to the podcast here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from, feel free to leave a five-star review, like, share, subscribe, all that stuff helps the growth of the show, folks. It is episode number 50, so it's another special one here. We are halfway through the milestone of getting, making it to 100 episodes of Critical Condition Sports. We're halfway there. To anyone that's ever listened, consistently listening, if you're listening for the first time, or you listen every once in a while, or just listen to it once, thank you so much. I appreciate the support. You are the reason why the show is successful. And from the bottom of my heart, I truly appreciate it, folks. I will be, I have a lot of other stuff going on this week. So I've had John Morgan from MMA Junkie. I had the Ultimate Fighter uh, Season uh, 29, Episode 6 review go up on Wednesday. And, you know, it was a heartbreaker. Dan Arquita lost. But I'm telling you right now, folks, that man will be back. He's very talented, too talented. And I have no doubt that we'll still see him uh, in the UFC. Um, he should fight in the finale. Dana, if you're listening, well, anyone related to the UFC is listening to this. you got to let that man in the UFC. The guy deserves it. Uh, even though he lost and he lost, you know, a third round that was obviously that he lost. I still believe in him. Do not, do not, do not give up on this man right here. He is the future. I still stand. I stand very confident in that matter. Now, with, now today, now we had that, obviously, that review go up, which is a hard one, even though Dan lost. It was a hard one to do, but we got we got it done for everybody. Then uh, we got Mike Bond. Mike Bond was here on the show he's a returning guest he works for MMA Junkie he was here for the second fight between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier so I thought it was only fitting that we were able to make it work and have him come on the show before on the week of the Conor McGregor Dustin Poirier trilogy fight right before the fight goes on I wanted to get him on luckily we were able to do that thank you so much Mike fantastic mind Mike's a fantastic gentleman fantastic mind a great person to talk MMA with which you'll be listening to it shortly and folks, I just want to remind everybody that I'll be on Catching Up with Mac uh, Friday, 7 p.m. Central Time on Instagram. You can go ahead and check it out at The Real Corey Mac. Folks, uh, it's going to be a fantastic one. I have great things to announce for Critical Condition Sports. I have some great future guests that I'm going to announce. Some of the biggest guests yet on Critical Condition Sports, folks. I am very excited to be able to announce all that, folks. And that'll be on 7 p.m. Central Time, Catching Up with Mac with my good friend, Corey Mac. Obviously, you know, if you can't make it to the stream, I'll leave his uh, Instagram linked in the description below. It's at the real Corey Mac. You can go ahead and follow that and check out the interview whenever you can. So it's going to be a big one, folks, on Saturday. I have Ultimate Fighter uh, Season 10 winner Efren Escudero, who will be giving me some Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier predictions. So that'll be fun. It's going to be awesome having him. I'm trying to get somebody else, another surprise guest, to be able to do an Instagram live, but we'll see how that works out. But for sure, guaranteed. 
I got Efren Escudero, who I'm doing an Instagram live with on Saturday to give you some Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, UFC 264 predictions. It'll be exciting, folks. And to you, my audience, I owe you this. I'll give you my official prediction here right now. Uh, I don't want to rant off for too long here, but I got Dustin Poirier right now. Uh, at the time that I'm posting this, I will not have seen the press conference, but I'm telling you right now, if Conor McGregor comes out insulting, insulting, fired up, the vintage Conor McGregor that we know, I'd probably bet on him. But right now, my gut, everything's telling me right now, Dustin Poirier, he's got the experience and he's been more active, folks. And obviously, you can't take whatever Conor did in the first meeting from this. I can take what Conor, what, what Dustin did in the second fight because the first fight was so long ago. This has been, you know, about six, seven months. Uh, they lost fought in January. So I'm going to go with Dustin Poirier. I am very nervous, though, because, you know, I do see... Connor still being having a legitimate chance to win this, and I want to see what kind of fired up Connor McGregor is. If I see him fired up, I could definitely go with Connor McGregor leading up to that fight. But as right now, for my audience, I'm giving you my official prediction: Dustin Poirier. I have a third round finish, and uh, let's see how that goes, folks. Uh, to everyone listening, folks, thanks for listening to me blab talk a little bit here. And now I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer. Let's get to that interview with MMA Junkies Mike Bond. My next guest. He is one of the best journalists in the world when it comes to mixed martial arts. He's an avid mixed martial arts fan as well. He's a senior sports reporter for MMA Junkie. Please welcome back Mike Bond. How you doing, Mike? Hey, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back on. It's good to see you. Hey, it's awesome, brother. It's only fitting, man. I mean, we did the predictions and we talked uh, the fights before the Connor and Dustin fight the second time. And it's only fitting to get you here for the trilogy fight, man. How have you been? I've been good, man. It's, uh, you know. Just kind of slugging along like everyone. It's nice to see some things opening back up, getting events, sort of crowds and stuff again. And uh, yeah, I can't really complain, man. Yeah, I mean, we're getting some normality, you know, back in the world. And, you know, things are starting to open back up. Uh, you know, there's been events that have had, you know, a full attendance on there. Have you uh, been to one of these events? Uh, I was at, yeah, UFC 261. So mm -hmm. I did the first show back, which in my opinion is still being kind of the crown jewel and set the bar for any of the shows that have come back so far. 263 was great. Um, but that card, just the atmosphere of the first one back, the three title fights, the way they all ended, it was yeah. just such a crazy night. The injuries to Chris Wyman and uh, Jimmy Crute and stuff. It was just yeah, one of the more memorable events, I think, in overall. Yeah. yeah. 264 this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be a very exciting time. Uh, obviously, the world of mixed martial arts, the world of mixed martial arts is just going crazy right now. And it's obviously flooding with news. Obviously, combat sports has really gone on full-fledged. And obviously, it, COVID did slow it down in a sense. But Dana White was so aggressive. And obviously, he was so aggressive when it came to putting on shows. And it feels like there's always a fight every single week. This is one of the rare weeks where we don't have MMA. And obviously, they did it the smart way. They're building up that hype towards that uh, huge uh, UFC 264 card on there. And obviously, you know, what else could we want, right? Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, the trilogy fight. I feel like it's been forever. And I feel like the anticipation has only grown so much more. Obviously, so that's where I want to start off here, uh, Mike. So we talked about why Connor was doing this, and I asked you, and I think the thing that stuck out to me the most is you said legacy for Connor, right? And going through his legacy, how bad did you think it hurt his legacy coming off that loss to Dustin in that second fight when we talked? I don't know how much it hurt it, but I think it set it up for the potential to hurt it. And I think that's what this third fight is all about right now, right? Like, I mean, you know, we see these guys lose here and there. 
Um, obviously, that would have been a big opportunity for Connor had he won that fight. He would have probably, you know, been fighting for the title and all that stuff. He would have been 2 on Dustin. So it would just kind of be a different scenario here. But yeah, uh, that one kind of just more to me. I still think Conor McGregor, obviously, you know, maybe not one of the best fighters of all time, but definitely one of the most accomplished. I mean, the first two division champions simultaneous, all these different accolades that he had. So no one can never take that away from him. But he wants to get back to where he wants to be, uh, being a champion and all that kind of stuff. That was a key loss for him. And then now he gets this opportunity to redeem it. And I really think it pretty much just puts him right back in the position he would have been if he won the last fight. So uh, he kind of gets to make up all these little things that may have been slightly taken away with that last fight. But for this one here, if he loses this, this is definitely one that could hurt his legacy. And it really will ask a lot of questions because I think it takes him out of that championship conversation and puts him into, you know, that fun fight type conversation. Is there one thing that really stuck out when you were watching uh, that second fight here? whether it was Dustin or Connor's side? I mean, obviously, it's hard to ignore the leg kicks. Um, yeah, that's been the, the biggest narrative coming out of the last fight. So I don't think Connor was necessarily expecting that attack and so aggressive from Dustin in that fight. So that was a huge uh, tactical advantage for him. And I think, of course, they're going to be trying to address that. But don't underestimate Dustin Poirier's hands either. I mean, the leg kicks were merely a distraction from the punches to the face and ultimately knocked Connor McGregor out. So... Um, you know, Dustin Poirier's got a lot of weapons there. I'm really curious to see what adjustments both guys make. I mean, Connor seemed to, you know, be saying after the last fight, like, activity, activity hurt him. He had the year-long layoff, and he was wanting to fight sooner in the previous year, and he just wants, like, repetition. And this is going to be his quickest MMA turnaround in years at this point, I think since 2016, and, uh, you know, at around five months. So for him, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he tries to return to form a little bit there and make the adjustments. But yeah, like going back to fight one, the leg kicks were huge. And I think a lot of the game planning is going to stem from both sides around that strategy that Dustin Poirier implemented first time around. Definitely. Now for me, obviously the thing that really stuck out the most was just how cool and calm, like Dustin Poirier, we talked about this and obviously you agreed when I told you that, you know, I just don't get the opinion where Connor, where people were saying Connor's going to win this or it's done. And obviously a lot of casuals come in. So a lot of popular opinion weighs in and there's a lot of Conor McGregor fans and that people that stick with them. But obviously going through the experience side and you look at Dustin, Dustin's been in some wars. He, during the time that Conor's been inactive, Dustin's been very active and he's fought some of the best fighters in the world and he's finished some of the best fighters in the world. So I think for me, one of those things is it's just repetition for Dustin. I mean, he's done this even, even after he beat Conor, he go on interviews and say, I mean, to him, it's just, it's another big win. It's nothing, you know, that he's going too crazy about. Obviously it paid more. And obviously, so it's very different in that aspect, but for Dustin, I think just the cool, calm, collected nature of the way he was able to handle himself. And I told everybody like, that's a guy that it's, he's just been so active and repetitive that it's just muscle memory right there. It's clockwork for this guy. So going into this fight, I think that's really where I'm going to give Dustin the edge already. Cause he's already, and just Connor's been some of the best fighters in the world. But Dustin's just been doing it in such a consistent level. Doesn't really take a lot of time off. The longest layoff that we've seen him had was between what may, may have been uh, between the, the hooker fight and the previous fight before that. That might have been the longest layoff that he's had, but he's been very active. Do you think that's a huge edge for Dustin in that aspect? Or you're giving the edge to Dustin for another particular reason? Definitely. I mean, I think that's one of many reasons uh, I am giving Dustin the edge here. I mean, 
yeah, that layoff he had after the Habib fight, yeah. he had hip surgery and stuff leading into Hooker. But I mean, if you look, if you take that Habib fight aside and everyone loses to Habib, just look how good Dustin Poirier has been over the past however many years at this point, half decade. He's yeah. been in his stride. He's fighting, you know, his best fighting of his career. And I think right now he's just going into his prime. Uh, I remember talking to him during that layoff after he had the surgery um, coming back from the Habib loss. And he says, you know, I think these next three years are going to be the best years of my career. I remember him telling me that because I feel like this is going to be my prime and we're kind of seeing it unfold right now. So uh, for him, I think definitely just him competing consistently. Um, if you're kind of comparing the two, obviously Connor lives a completely different lifestyle from Dustin Poirier. Sure. Uh, God knows what he's doing at certain times. And for Dustin, he's always training. He's working. Uh, he's in there at a gym, American top team, uh, working consistently with the best fighters in the world. I mean, you go in that gym, and it's just an absolute killer after killer walking around in there. And we don't really know who Dustin or who Connor rather is training with. Who, can you name any of the sparring partners? I mean, I'm sure he's working with people to a certain pedigree, but he's not getting kind of the daily grind that Dustin Poirier is. So I think just the, the preparation, everything you said, the repetition, Dustin is just 100% in this fight game and his mind is so uh, locked in on you know, winning that belt and just doing everything he can with these prime years. And I don't think you can make those kind of very clear certain statements about Conor McGregor. Obviously, he has a lot of positive things going on around him as well, but it's just kind of two different people in two different places right now. And I definitely think uh, the fact that Dustin has been you know, fighting so well and doing what he's been doing, we've seen it in the cage time after time over these past few years, and it's impressive. And whereas Connor is going to fight here, fight there, and we don't really know exactly what to make of him. Definitely. Now, look, like, and we'll, we'll, I'll attest to this, and I'll be honest, and I'm sure you'll agree here, Connor's got a ton, ton loads of money. He's always going to be that kind of a draw. If he loses this fight, UFC still has got, still has, you know, the Nate Diaz fight in their pocket, obviously, which way they, they can, you know, sell out a whole arena. And That's it all. There's plenty yeah. of people. There, there's some fights there, but how big is it for legacy though here? I mean, will it truly crack it right? Uh, if he loses in this fight to Dustin Poirier, how, how big, what's the magnitude of this fight though for Connor? I mean, I think the upside is bigger than anything just because, we haven't seen him win, you know, a big fight. You know, Dom Cerrone, I mean, all respect to him. He's, you know, one of the biggest fan favorites in company history, but he's not that elite fighter. He's never been a champion. Uh, we saw what happened to his in title fights, things like that. I do legitimately think Conor McGregor beating Dustin Poirier, and I think I said the same thing before the last fight, would be one of the biggest and most impressive wins of his entire career, you know, putting belts aside, Jose Aldo, 13 seconds, Eddie Alvarez, flawless performance, all these different things. I do think beating Dustin would be the most impressive. And, you know, we talk about legacy. I mean, it's all about perspective on that front. I mean, like you can't take away the things that have happened those years when he was making his rise, you know, 2014 to 2016, when Connor was just tearing through the world. Uh, was you know some of the greatest times in the history of the sport to kind of cover and to just be part of that. So uh, you can never take what he had in terms of impact away from him. But I think just the question is, do the inactivity and all these things, like how great is he? I don't think uh, anyone would put Conor McGregor in a list of like the 10 greatest MMA fighters of all time right now or something like that. And that's okay, but he's just kind of not in that place. I think where Dustin Poirier is trying to go is – to that place but yeah it's huge for connor i mean he can start opening that door with a win here and he can maybe fight for the title or regain it there would be all these different storylines for him 
uh, he can kind of build back to prosperity. But a loss, I think it just kind of solidifies the things that I'm saying that he is, uh, you know, a great champion, done many things for the sport. And, uh, you know, being obviously an awesome fighter, but I don't think you put him in that, like, you know, top 15, top 20 even. Now, Mike, and what I, what I love about this main event is there's so many ways we can go about this and so many different things we can talk about. But for the audience and, you know, yourself that, you know, you've been covering the sport for a while already and you've been there. You Have you been there for the rise? Have you been with MMA Junkie that long to watch the rise for Connor? Yeah, I mean, I've been there since uh, 2012, so. You've you've seen it. So now for the audience that may have not been privileged enough or have had the opportunity to go to a UFC event or a press conference or all those things, I mean, what's it like whenever you are covering a Conor McGregor fight at a press conference? I mean, what's the feel like whenever he walks into a room? Can you describe that to the audience? I mean, during his prime years, even then he still has some of it left. I don't think it was, you know, what it once was. I mean, it's just being a different thing. Like he's kind of, his celebrity kind of outgrew it to a certain degree that the biggest crowds, if you go there, it's not the same as it was, but you know, it's all Irish people and just like absolute insanity in every hotel, you know, the tickets get more expensive and all that kind of stuff. So it becomes sort of like a high roller scene when it's a Conor McGregor fight, uh, they kind of get outpriced. But back in the day, like when he was doing the, uh, the Chad Mendes fight, the Aldo fight and stuff like that, uh, you would just go to one of those events and the atmosphere would just feel like something absolutely you know, special and unique for sure. There's something in the air. Uh, you just have, you know, some fleets of Irish people flying over. Uh, they would be singing and dancing in every hotel uh, lobby uh, outside the arena you know, during the press conference. It would just be chaos. There was just a special atmosphere for sure. So yeah, those were some very unique years. And I think obviously uh, it's a little different now. His past two fights haven't been, you know, uh, I guess, no, just the past one, but, um, yeah, like this will be a, a big fight, and I'm curious to see what the crowd is going to be like for Poirier because obviously they are doing a sold out crowd, and Vegas is going to be absolutely nuts because there's other events going on that week. And I'm just curious to see what kind of crowd is going to be up for that one if we get a little bit of that back because I do think you could maybe make the argument that he feeds off that a little bit. And maybe, yeah, there was a few thousand people in Abu Dhabi, but it was like not really a noticeable crowd much at all. Um, and I think that packed house when he does the walkout and he kind of gets yeah. that vibe, I think that's something that could maybe elevate his performance. Definitely. I always tell people like, there's just something about that walkout when he comes and you feel the audience get energized off that. Obviously it's no secret that he can definitely feed off that. What's the most memorable moment you've had though at a Conor McGregor press conference? What's something, what's something that stuck out to you? Uh, at a press conference? Or just anything. Uh, what's your favorite Conor McGregor memory? What's something that really stuck out to you? Oh, man, there's a lot of them. I mean, just the, the chaos of the Floyd Mayweather fight week. Um, <laughs> just, like, the absolute insanity of that scene, what it was like, how hot it was in Vegas during that week. Um, just lots of things. I mean, seeing him in a uh, fight in Dublin, that was a special moment years ago, kind of the first event they did there. Um, the the second Nate Diaz fight was a really big one. There's There's been a, a lot of, you know, definitely just – big fights they kind of blend together to a degree but that Nate Diaz uh, press conference where they were throwing the cans at each other and Nate Diaz walked out that was just a little bit of chaos and you get a lot of that with Connor I mean there's been some uh, definitely interesting moments with him but that's one that I guess in terms of like a press conference stand out uh, I remember just after the last fight the Cerrone fight 
uh, when he came in and he made kind of a big deal leading up to that about how he like hadn't been drinking his whiskey for months on end or whatever. And he brought a bottle to it at the press conference. And I asked him, you know, how it felt to be reunited with his old friend once he had his first sip. And you could just tell he was so pleased to be drinking his whiskey again. So yeah, there's some, uh, there's some funny ones over there. Definitely. Now, obviously, besides it being such a huge fight for both Connor and Dustin, it's a huge fight for the UFC, in my opinion here. I mean, Connor is, you know, a big source of revenue when it comes to the company. And I know that whether it's with Connor, without Connor, they're always going to make money, right? It's a big company. Dana White's, you know, a good, you know, president for it. Obviously, he's been a very aggressive one. But how big is it for the UFC for Connor to win? Obviously, with MMA, it's very different than like a WWE or things like that. It's not scripted, you know, obviously you have to be prepared for both results, but how big is it for the UFC for Connor to win money-wise? Not as big of a deal as I think some people might think okay. now and that we're in the uh, ESPN era in terms of their pay-per-view contract and structuring with ESPN plus and doing it through that. I mean, they obviously a Conor McGregor fight and its ability to sell more puts it to a higher threshold so they have the potential to make more money but whether conor mcgregor is fighting or not fighting i don't think it it hurts their bottom line in any way uh mm-hmm. just kind of helps push it up a little bit more so uh, i mean they've only had what three conor mcgregor fights in the past five years and they're here they still are doing you know making as much money as ever so i don't think it's something that's kind of you know do or die for the ufc with winning seemingly would extend his, his leash. I mean, obviously there's a brighter future with a win here than a loss. Um, but for him, I think Conor McGregor's reached the point where he's going to fight as many times as he wants to fight a win or lose. And there's always going to be that platform for him. I mean, obviously him fighting for the title would be a bigger uh, moneymaker for the UFC than him doing some other fight. That's like not for a title or whatever, coming off a few losses. But yeah, I think, it's they're good either way. I mean, the UFC is making money hand over fist regardless, and I'm sure they would love as many Conor McGregor fights as they can get, but I think they're also prepared if this was maybe his last fight ever too. Definitely. Now, in, now in uh, the different side of things here with Dustin. Dustin, obviously a lot of people are favoring him now, jumping on there. Are you 100% certain that Dustin will win this fight? And if so, why? I mean, obviously, you're never 100% no, well, certain. Yeah, it makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's pretty much just similar analysis to the last fight, honestly. I mean, if Conor McGregor is going to win this, I think he needs to knock him out the first round or, you know, the first half of the second round, somewhere in the first eight, nine minutes of the fight. And uh, if it starts going further than that in the third and they start grappling and it turns into a dog fight uh, where we know Dustin Poirier is so comfortable and we've seen Conor McGregor struggle, uh, you know, he's never won a decision or a loss or one decision rather in his career. I know it's been all finishes and his career losses. So it's been put away inside the distance. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what we said about the last fight too, but does he have the power in his hands to land a good shot and knock Dustin Poirier out, even in maybe you could say like a deteriorated state compared to where he was in his previous fights. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Todd Rogero can win this, but I think, his best chance of winning is by knockout or really his only chance of winning is by knockout. Whereas Dustin Poirier can knock him out, submit him or beat him by decision. How do these two guys compare to the UFC lightweight champion, Charles Oliveira though? Cause the winner assuming right. Whoever wins his fight is going to be next in line for Charles. How do you like both of these guys or is there one guy that you like better stylistically for Charles? Uh, I think Dustin would be a more competitive. It's so hard to say, actually. I mean, I think they're both, 
similar to some degree, I think. <laughs> Pretty much anyone wants to keep it on the feet with Charles Oliveira. I do think Dustin Poirier is much more well-rounded. And if it did hit the ground with Charles Oliveira, especially as we saw, you know, it's not immediate doom with Charles when it does go to the ground. He wasn't able to finish Tony Ferguson, even though that was slightly to Tony Ferguson's insane flexibility and not unwillingness to tap out. But he got Michael Chandler to the ground and had his back early in the fight and didn't finish that. So I do think, uh, you know, Dustin could survive or hang or compete with Oliveira on the ground, whereas if Conor McGregor was on the ground for Charles Oliveira, I would not like his chances there at all for very long. So I think both guys have him in a striking fight, would have a really excellent matchup with Oliveira if they can defend the takedowns. Um, they would have a much better ability to kind of figure out his puzzle there. But on the ground, um, I guess Dustin more competitive there. So I guess to answer the question, I think Dustin would be a, a better overall fight. What's your prediction for this matchup here? Or do we do we have one yet, Mike? Or are you going to wait till later on in the week? Uh, I mean, I think I'm leaning towards Dustin. What I saw in Abu Dhabi, you know, I feel pretty confident that he's going to be able to do something similar again. I mean, the fact that he now, like all the questions going into that last fight were around his mindset, you know, as Conor McGregor, like the fact that he was knocked out by him, all these different things years ago, is, you know, all, all these little elements. I don't think, you know, Dustin going in there, he knows. Can, he can knock Conor McGregor out. He did it just a few months ago. Um, I would feel pretty damn confident if I was Dustin Poirier coming into this fight. Obviously, you know, user beware with all the knockout power, but if he, uh, it, it feels like it's on him to kind of drop the ball here to a degree in terms of a victory. So um, I don't know how he's going to get it done. Like I said, I think he can win knockout submission decision. Um, I think there's a decent chance he gets another knockout, but yeah, uh, I feel pretty confident that Poirier here. Definitely like that. I'm gonna definitely agree with you there. I have Dustin winning this match. Let's go over the co-main event though. It's a very interesting match here between Gilbert Burns and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Big time co-main event here. Obviously, one with uh, some title ramifications to go along with the way with it. Or what are you leaning towards here, or what should people expect from this match up here, Mike? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It depends if Gilbert Burns wants to strike with Wonderboy or not. <laughs> then it's going to be kind of on him to decide how that fight goes. Because I mean, you'd imagine your Burns, you don't want to be staying on the outside. He's kind of a shorter, stockier, welterweight. Wonderboy's going to try to use the range and do his Wonderboy thing, as we've seen so many times. And Gilbert Burns plays that game. I mean, I don't really think there's many people at all that I'd pick to beat Wonderboy in just like a mostly stand-up fight. So it's on Burns to mix it up and try to get it to the ground and clinch and do all of that stuff. And I think if he does get it to the ground, which is a tough beat with Wonderboy, then maybe he can make something happen, you know, pass the guard, maybe possibly even submit him. There's some decent chances for him there, but uh, Wonderboy has just kind of mastered his style and the range and stuff like that. And if Burns isn't able to disrupt that early, get Wonderboy off his rhythm, I think that's going to be a, a lot of trouble for him and a long night of probably getting picked apart to a, a unanimous decision win for Wonderboy. So um, I think kind of I'm leaning towards Wonderboy there, but Burns, I mean, like I said, he's an ace on the ground. And if you got this to the mat, I like his chances of submitting a lot of people. Definitely not there now. Now, do you think with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, I feel like he's got an opportunity to leap Colby Covington for a title shot as to if Gilbert Burns were to win? I still think that Gilbert would probably need about maybe another win or two to get himself back in the mix there. Do you agree with that? 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, especially if Usman stays the champ. I mean, if Usman loses the belt, it kind of changes the game for Gilbert Burns. He could get in there next or something, you know, depending on how things shake out. But it uh, doesn't look like Usman's losing that belt anytime soon. He's the MPs. So I think that's kind of on that side of it, yes. Um, on the Wonderboy leapfrogging Colby aspect of it, I'm not positive there. I mean... You can, Usman can say whatever he wants, and he has many times over Colby, but what has Dana said? He said over and over, Colby's next, Colby's next. He gets asked at pretty much every media availability. And as far as I know, that's the fight that UFC wants and is maybe targeting for even as soon as September. Um, we'll see how things develop there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and like he would have to do something absolutely – spectacular and then maybe if like Colby gets injured or something crazy or unforeseen happens with him and like a negotiation which as far as I know there's nothing to be concerned about on at least his end um then yeah like that's the scenario where it could happen but I think the the Colby and the title shot against him from part is pretty locked in right now now let me ask you this let me shift to this Sean O'Malley gets a lot of attention now within uh, the UFC. A lot of haters like to come out. A lot of people don't like, uh, you know, it's from what I've seen. Now, obviously, his opponent uh, went down earlier in the week. People were going up and saying, volunteering themselves, raising their hand. Oh, I want this fight. I want this fight. And obviously, a guy that wasn't signed by the UFC and Chris Motino, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he got the opportunity and got the call. Somebody that wasn't signed with the UFC. Uh, did, did you hear anything, any rumblings there? Was there another guy that the UFC was perhaps looking into? And why wasn't a guy from the UFC picked to replace uh, Luis Samoka? Yeah, this was kind of a, an odd one. I mean, as far as I know, they had talks with Ricky Simone uh, about going in there. There was, you know, a bit of chatter with Brian Kelleher, but I guess all those guys couldn't make 35, yeah. and Sean wanted to fight at 35. Like, Ricky Simone seemingly was close on, like, a 145 or a 140, but I guess that's the direction they opted not to go. Um, and I guess all, of all those kind of bigger names putting their hat, hands up, um, it seemed like Mareb Devalishvili could have maybe made weight, but it uh, didn't really seem like it got too far down the road. Obviously, he has a, a big fight lined up with Marlon Marais coming up, and I think that probably has more upside for him right now anyways in terms of like his pursuit of the title from Sean O'Malley. But nonetheless, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of strange. I mean, you have like, what, like 40, 50 bantamweights on the roster, and you can't get a guy who's already signed. I thought it was kind of a strange choice there. Um, but these things kind of happen sometimes. I mean – maybe this guy was kind of on the short list in terms of people they were going to call. And they thought that he was the right fit for this moment. Wanted to set Sean O'Malley up for, uh, you know, a big highlight reel more or less on a Conor McGregor pay-per-view main card opener, which can do wonders for his stock as opposed to putting against Ricky Simone, who's going to try to push him against the fence and take him down for 15 minutes, uh, be it unsuccessfully or not. That has the recipe for, I guess, disaster to start off a big pay-per-view like this. So, I don't know, a lot of different things going into this decision. Um, maybe the UFC just thought it was too risky to give one of those fights. And again, those guys couldn't make 35. So um, that seems to be kind of the bottom line. If you're Sean O'Malley and you're saying, this is my weight class, I'm a 35-er. Uh, if you, I'll fight any of you guys who can make weight and they can't make weight, then what's up there? I mean, that's not really his fault. So Definitely now. How big is the fight for Sean? Because if he loses this fight, obviously all the haters are going to come out of the woodwork and oh, yeah. come out there. And, you know, obviously we've seen that when he lost to Cheeto Vera and 
I think there's an aura with this guy. I think that he's definitely entertaining to watch. Uh, people want to see him watch, whether they want to see him win or lose. I mean, that's not up to him. I mean, he's doing his thing. And regardless, if you get people to tune in for you, I mean, that is your job. You're getting people to tune in, whether they want you to lose or not. Now, how big is the fight for Sean O'Malley here? Because again, a loss would hurt him in that sense and would get a lot of attention rather than a win. Oh yeah, a loss would be devastating to <laughs> kind of where he stands right now. That takes him back to square one. It's a total reset. So yeah, he can't lose this fight. I mean, this would be catastrophic to kind of where he's trying to go for his title push and just becoming that big name so um yeah i mean like it's pretty much all riding here that's kind of the, the risk reward here i mean you fight a guy that literally um not many ufc fans have heard of especially people that kind of are solely focused on that product and maybe he's it's a mismatch in terms of that and you can get the big highlight reel but if you lose to him that really hurts you Whereas if you did take this fight, even if it was at 140 or 145 with a Cody Stamen, a Mirab DeBellishvili, uh, one of those dudes, Ricky Simone, who is probably a bad style matchup for you, you're doing it at a higher weight. If you lost that one, well, I think people would at least respect you for it. I mean, he's reached the point of like being polarizing that he's going to get hated on no matter what, like regardless of who he loses to, how he loses, whatever the case may be. So like it's, doesn't really matter, I guess, at that point, because he's got, like, such an army of haters already. But um, for him, yeah, like, the, the downside here is far more significant than it would be if he had fought one of those other dudes. Now, is there another uh, fight card, another fight on this card that uh, people should have an eye out for, uh, Mike? Oh, yes. Nico Price and Michelle Pajaya. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, That's going to be absolutely ridiculous, that fight. I mean, Michelle Pajaya is, I'm sure – Many have seen by now the man who does the backflips and like the crazy in fight madness had that uh, disqualification against Diego Sanchez. And it was just uh, one of the most entertaining guys in the sport, at least pre COVID, because during the COVID era, he seemed to have tightened up his style a little bit and being a lot more technical and not really done any of the flashy walkouts and stuff. And he was saying it was because there was no crowd and that's who he does it for. So in front of 20,000 people, you know, the first event back in Vegas. I can't wait to see what this guy tries to pull out on the card of this magnitude. And uh, it's just going to be absolutely entertaining. And Nico Price, I mean, it's like the perfect uh, foe to that. I mean, he's one of the great action fighters in the welterweight division. He's had, you know, many bonuses and some crazy stoppages and knockouts, you know, from his back up kicks and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be a ridiculous fight for however long it lasts. I can't wait Definitely. I'll add another one uh, to that. I, I like Ryan Hall. I want to see Ryan Hall oh, yeah. versus Ilya Topuria. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that one right, but he's uh, 10 and 0. Ryan Hall is 8 and 1. And Ryan Hall is a guy that a lot of uh, athletes don't want to compete against, obviously, because of the slick jiu jitsu and the knee, knee locks and stuff like that. Uh, can you give us a take on that fight? Yeah. I mean, thank God. Hopefully, I don't even almost don't want to talk about it because we have had so much trouble getting Ryan Hall in the cage over the past few years. I don't want to like jinx it or something by even bringing him up. I'm just like liking how they have him tucked away on the bottom of his card and he's kind of flying under the radar a little bit. So hopefully nothing happens during fight week, but that's, yeah, he's one of the most dangerous ground guys. I mean, one of the few like true specialists kind of in the sport. And I don't know, maybe you don't even call him a specialist. We saw him out there. He was able to outstrike Darren Elkins for most of the fight. And he's got a really awkward, a unique style of striking is not afraid at all to pull guard and butt scoot and do all these 
things that maybe some people dislike to watch, but if you're someone who's a, um, you know, fan of what he does and kind of uniqueness and not having all your fighters kind of be cookie cutter and all from, you know, looking the same and just trying to, you know, box and sprawl and brawl and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he's, um, a special treat to watch. And then, um, he's a guy that for a long time was saying that he only wants to fight like a top 15, a top 10. And he just had these fights fall out over and over and over. He was supposed to fight Dan Ige not long ago. And that was going to be a, a really compelling matchup. And that fell apart too. And I think now he's kind of reached the point that he's willing to fight, I guess, whoever to just get in there. And uh, they gave him a tough one in Tapuria, who I think is one of the top prospects at featherweight right now. So really he's 10 and 0. And um, yeah, there's some colleagues of mine, Danny Segura, Farah Hanoon, uh, an MMA junkie who are extremely high on Ilya. Um, so I'm really interested to see what he's able to do in there and how he handles Ryan Hall style because it's just such a, a unique matchup to have to go in there with for anyone. So I'm curious to see how Chipuria kind of tries to take a crack at the puzzle here. Yeah, it's going to be a very intriguing uh, matchup on here. Obviously, we got some big news. Uh, the next uh, UFC event, we believe, will be in Houston, Texas. Uh, Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gaon is going to be for the interim title fight. Obviously, this thing garnered a lot of news. Uh, obviously, negativity. You know, Dana White was upset and he was clapping back at uh, France's management team. Uh, what did you hear about this fight and why is it, has it been done this way? I mean, was it just the UFC's inability to have a main event uh, for that August card? Was it France's not wanting that fight? Um, what was, what do you think was, was made behind the decision here? Well, definitely wasn't France's not wanting the fight. Um, it was, I think basically more or less what you said on the first half of it, UFC, wanted uh, Derek Lewis in particular to headline in his hometown of Houston where he lives and uh, be able to sell out tickets there because, uh, you know, I love to go to Amanda Nunes, but her versus Juliana Pena isn't selling out 15,000 seats. Um, and the UFC is back to having to move tickets and they wanted Derek Lewis there and Francis Ngannou um, to his complete rightfulness was not prepared to fight August 7th. I mean, he just won the title a few months ago. He went back to Cameroon, saw his family, uh, well-deserved kind of celebration for him of being a heavyweight champion. But he was ready to go September 25th. And from everything I heard, him and his team agreed to fight September 25th, uh, which I believe is UFC 266. And that's what they thought was going to happen as far as the Derek Lewis fight. And I guess the UFC wanted to go with Lewis and Houston badly enough that they did the interim title fight and, you know, Sergio Gon was there and ready. So he's the guy that went, um, you know, I don't see the huge issue with having them just fight in the co-headliner and like a three rounder is like a title eliminator. If you want Derek Lewis on my card so bad, but maybe for Derek and for Sergio, they need that interim title to spice it up. Um, so I guess that's the decision they went and it just complicates a lot of things. Cause obviously, you know, there's the stemming questions. Where's the lead John Jones? Uh, does he now have to wait, you know, behind the winner of this? And how soon are they going to get the fight booked? What if, you know, the winner of this breaks their hand or suffers some other kind of injury and can't fight for the next six months? What do you do? So there's just a lot of uh, risk involved there, I feel like, for whatever reason. Definitely. I think there's a lot of risk that was just made to set this up. I just don't get the thing about the interim titles. I mean, it's essentially a number one contenders match. And, you know, I talked to John Morgan from MMA, MMA Junkie as well. And he was telling me the same thing, you know, it's, I mean, essentially this is just a number one contenders fight and you're just adding something else to it. I mean, you're just 
giving someone a belt. A lot of these people don't want that interim belt. They want the real one. So it's a real tough spot right there. But again, the UFC uh, made the decision they had to do. What kind of shot are you giving Juliana Pena, though, against Amanda Nunez? Um, around zero. <laughs> zero. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, roughly, roughly <laughs> zero. I mean, I don't know. Uh, what can you say? Am I giving? Are you giving anyone much more than zero at this point? Maybe outside uh, of Valentina Shevchenko, but no one doesn't seem like we're getting that fight anytime soon. So you know, respect <laughs> to Juliana Pena. She's getting her title fight, uh, deserved or not. You know, coming off a, a win over Sarah McMahon, and that's about it. Um, you know, she got submitted by Jermaine Duran, I, mean, I think like two fights ago or three fights ago or whatever, but this is just the reality of the situation with Amanda Nunes. It's not really about the opponent at this point. It's just about putting the spotlight further on her greatness. And, you know, she's going to have these incredible performances every few months. And I mean, obviously if Juliana Pena can go in there and surprise us with something, um, that would be awesome and give us like a competitive fight or even just like a moment of doubt about Amanda Nunes winning in there. But from what we've seen so far, uh, what can you say? And I actually saw Amanda at American Top Team when I was there a few weeks ago. And uh, she didn't seem to take well to all of Juliana's trash talk. And I think the last thing you want to do is piss off Amanda Nunes on top of what you already have coming to you. So, yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting to see that fight unfold. But um, yeah, motivated Amanda Nunes probably puts the odds around zero. <laughs> Kayla Harrison's a magnificent athlete from PFL. She's done uh, great work. She's uh, an Olympic gold medalist. You know, she is uh, the right now the defending champion for PFL. Would that intrigue you? Would a match between Kayla Harrison and Amanda Nunes intrigue you? I know a lot of people ask this question, right? Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like anything that's even remotely competitive for Amanda Nunes intrigues me, like give me something new when it comes to her. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that would be, I think that's like the, the bucket list fight in MMA right now. I mean, obviously Kayla and Cyborg would be dope too. Um, but I think that's kind of the, the one that stands out more, especially because there's like the element there. Um, you know, they train at the same gym. Um, you know, like they were training together very early on. And I think Amanda's kind of started to see the Kayla Harrison train coming a little bit. And I think they'd like distance themselves. Yeah, I don't okay. think they're enemies by any means. I mean, you see them like, posting photos of them standing side by side at the gym and stuff when i was down there there's kind of like overlap they were chatting it up but um i don't think they're like training one-on-one or anything like that so i think that fight is coming to us at some point it's just a matter of how long and um like what's the the path gonna to it gonna be is the ufc gonna sign kayla harris at the end of this pfl season and rush her right into that because there's nothing else interesting for amanda at 145 are they gonna give her a fight to get her feet wet and build you know, herself in the octagon and build that brand under that banner all these things. But uh, yeah, I think, I think we're going to get that fight. I'd feel pretty confident in saying, I don't know, maybe even as soon as 2022. Hopefully we'd get that one. What did you make of Anthony Pettis's uh, move to PFL? I mean, it didn't really seem to work out right now, but you know, we're MMA fans. We know that it's the nature of the sport. There's a lot of great athletes that aren't in the UFC as well. Uh, is that a, does that show you just how much great there's other athletes in the UFC? Because a lot of people think that, you know, the UFC is the end-all, be-all. Oh, it, you know, it's UFC or bust. But there's a lot of great athletes in other organizations, Mike. Uh, what was your take on this? Yeah, there's great fighters everywhere. Um, it just showed, obviously, like the parody. You know, the greatest fighters in the world are not all in the UFC. And 
No, I don't think Clay Collard is like a top 10 lightweight or anything like that. And I don't think Anthony Pettis is even a top 20 lightweight or top 30 lightweight maybe at this stage of his career. But um, it's just kind of goes to show it's like the nature of the fight game. Like, you know, he's fighting Anthony Pettis, these PFL fights is kind of one step in the next chapter to trying to win that million dollars and all that kind of stuff. Whereas like these guys with lesser names that he's fighting, this is the biggest moment of their life. You know, they're going to fight Anthony Pettis. They beat him. It changes everything have that name on the record so it's like almost like a, a imbalance of motivation and just like stakes and stuff on that side to a degree so um i can like see why these kind of outcomes happen in these fights sometimes it's just like so significant and uh you know anthony pettis we can be honest about it this isn't like the fighter he once was is obviously not in his prime anymore you know a lot of brutal ones but uh i think it was like a good thing all around i mean now he'll take some time off i assume They'll bring him back for the next season and he'll have kind of more time and be adjusted to it. There won't be these bubbles that they have to do. Um, you know, Anthony Pettis had like a, his daughter was born like six days before that fight or something. So like God knows what his preparation and his sleep leading up to was like. So there's a lot going on with him. I don't think we got his best in these PFL fights for this season. So not ready to like completely write him off. Um, I think with like the talent they're assembling over there, it would be a tough lean for him to win their championship. But I think he's got, they can still, you know, squeeze some more out of him and there's still something left for him in uh, PFL. Real, real quick, as we're nearing the end of this, last two questions here. TJ Dillashaw versus uh, Corey Hennis-Sanahagen. Very interesting matchup for a lot of different factors. TJ Dillashaw is returning uh, to the Octagon from a two-year suspension. Corey Sanahagen coming off a crazy, intense, insane knockout here of Frankie Edgar. It was just highlight reel. And, yeah. You know, where are you at with this fight here? And what's the thing to keep an eye out for besides TJ Dillashaw's return and how he looks like? I mean, I think that's, like, the only thing you can really keep an eye out for. I mean, I think that's going to decide everything, right? Like, we know Corey Sandhagen is seemingly on this rocket ship, and he's looking unbelievable. I mean, his past two performances, my Lord, he's just absolutely killed it. Um, if he can continue that train going through TJ Dillashaw, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. Undeniable number one contender. All these little things, but, I mean – there's going to be questions too, right? Like if he goes out there and he just like starts his TJ in 30 seconds or something crazy, like he did to Frankie, everyone's going to say, you know, TJ, because his dog steroids is what he once was oh, two God. years off. It's not the same guy, you know, like he was only good because of these things. He sucks without cheating. All these little, you know, storylines people are going to start uh, stealing about TJ Dillashaw. So, I mean, the, the best thing that I guess could possibly happen to Corey Sandhagen would be, like, if TJ came out there looking amazing and, like, took the first round off him or something, and then he knocked him out in the second round or something, because then he could be like, okay, like, this guy didn't really lose too much. He never lost the title so in the cage, technically. He had to vacate it um, because of the, you know, well, he had it taken away because of his positive drug test, but, like, he's still a, a very good fighter, and I was able to beat him, and if TJ, you know, can come out there and look great and then win the fight that's great for him too. Or even if he you know, goes out there and looks good to a degree and then loses, um, I think just, it's all going to be about TJ, how he looks coming into this, his physique, how weigh-ins, everyone's going to be, you know, post those little side-by-side images and just like, there's going to be you know, so Meme much city. stuff going on. Meme yeah. City. So I think just like Corey Sandhagen, which is I'm sure going to be perfectly fine for him because he is not much of a talker. He just likes to kind of go in there and be the quiet guy and, uh, do his thing in the cage so uh all having all the attention on tj is going to be perfectly fine with Corey, and uh then we're going to see what kind of product you get out of tj dillashaw after two and a half years away 
uh, fair to say that this is a bigger fight for TJ than Corey? Yeah, for sure. Because what's TJ now, like 35, 36? He goes in there, he wins this. I mean, he was trying to stump for a title shot coming back right away because, you know, he never lost the belt in the cage. All these little things, which I thought would have been a a ridiculous decision to give him that. But um, for him, yeah, like he wins this. He goes back saying... You know, the only reason I tested positive is because I made this one-time bad choice about going down to flyaway during my cut, and I needed the help. Uh, you know, kind of the story he's been telling, whether you believe it or not, um, would have you know further credence behind it. But like, this is when I'm at my proper weight class and you know, doing the things I've always been doing. I'm still one of the best bantamweights in the world. So yeah, like so much riding for TJ Dillashaw in this fight for sure. Like bantamweight is so stacked right now, and there's so many good guys in that division that like he's kind of slipped in here right back into the top of the queue, but he loses and especially like loses definitively. He drops way down there behind a, a whole bunch of guys kind of on the come up right now. Um, and obviously we don't even know when we're getting that Peter Yon and Aljamain Sterling rematch. So like, it's already a long enough line as is. So yeah, so much on the line here for TJ Delshaw on this comeback. Definitely. Oh my goodness. Goodness. You know, the Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yon, I, I still can't believe that knee, man. I was insane yeah anyways last question here before we sign off mike uh last time i had you on the show to close it out i asked you what you were looking forward to as the year was going to progress here in 2021 you had told me john jones uh moving up to heavyweight right now it's not looking like we're going to see that mike is i mean do you think the fight happens if so it'll probably be next year though but what's your stance on that yeah i mean that's that's pretty much it like obviously there's, there's not too many things to explain for anyone who's been following the scenario. Like, it's just been delayed, delayed, delayed. And then they moved to the different direction of Derek Lewis. And, um, I mean, Francis and, or Surreal Gone, rather, could be the biggest uh, issue in all of this, really. Because if he goes in there and beats Derek Lewis, which I think uh, I'd favor him to do sitting here right now. And I think he's a tricky style matchup for Francis and Ghani, too. So, like, this fight might have kind of been completely blown up and like I said just putting more roadblocks in the way there because we're going to get this interim title fight we don't know when the winner of that will fight Francis and that's kind of putting a a big thing there what if it's not until January or something because I'm pretty I'm pretty confident saying that you know we were going to get Francis on September 25th that's the date they agreed to the winner of this isn't going to win the interim title and fight seven weeks later or six weeks later or whatever against Ngannou, uh, that'd be a disservice to them to even take that fight. So when do we get that? Maybe January, and then the winner of that ideally fights Jones when, like, July of next year or something. So could be looking at a hell of a wait here, and who, who knows what else happens in between them and now. So, uh, yeah, I'm not feeling too good about my John Jones at the heavyweight prediction. I don't know when we're even going to see that. Yeah, man, I just hope it doesn't lose steam. You know, there's fights that happen and that'll, that'll lose steam, and there's fights that should have happened <sighs> at the peak of this, man, or just at the peak, and you would have gone crazy over it, right? And I just hope it, it doesn't happen like that. Uh, you know, Mike Bond from MMA Junkie, thank you for joining us, and thank you for taking the time, man. Thank you so much. Oh, no worries. It's good to chat with you, man. I appreciate you having me. Awesome. Anything you want to let the audience know before we sign off? Uh, no, you can just follow me on uh, social, Twitter, Instagram, Mike Vaughn, MMA, M-I-K-E-B-O-H-N-M-M-A. And uh, yeah, I'm good. Awesome. Well, that was MMA Junkies and Mike Vaughn. And to all your audience, thank you for sticking around. Hope you enjoy the fight, folks. Be safe. I'll catch you later, guys. Goodbye.